everybody and welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of week of February 24th through February 29th. That's something you'll probably never hear again from me. <laughs> uh, I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, joined by Alex Plant. Bulbasaur. Ben Limero. It's true, Alex is a Bulbasaur in my copy of Pokemon Yellow. And special guest, Braxton Burks. How you doing, Braxton? I'm doing great. Wonderful. Braxton is the creator of a very popular fan music project called Pokemon Reorchestrated. Uh, we'll get into that after the break, though it's a fantastic coincidence given how much Pokemon stuff has been happening over, you know, the last week. No, we uh, planned it that way. Yes. <laughs> totally planned. We say things on the podcast um, and they just happen. But uh, for any of the listeners who aren't familiar, do you want to give yourself a brief introduction? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on your podcast, guys. I really appreciate oh, it. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, glad to have That's you. Sure. It's really fun to hang out with uh, my fellow Pokemon fans. <laughs> yeah, so uh, my name is Braxton. I make Pokemon orchestrations. I've been doing it since 2010-ish, uh, maybe a little bit before that. I started out making remixes of Pokemon music in GarageBand with uh, the Orchestral Jam Pack, and <laughs> now I've like upgraded to... Uh, using sample libraries, orchestral sample libraries that uh, film and video game composers use to make mock-ups for the directors and stuff. But now I do it, I just do it for Pokemon music. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, great. Uh, So like I said, this week was huge for Pokemon. So uh, you Poke fans in the audience will be very well pleased. After the news block, we've got a quick Gossip Stone segment for you with really juicy NX details. Uh, After the break, we've got a real quick game corner. And then we are heading into a new segment called Places and People for a really great Pokemon discussion with our friend Braxton. So let's take it over to the Poke News Block. Welcome to the News Block, this classic segment here on Nintendo Week. Uh, first story, last week some of you may remember the rumor of a game codenamed Pokemon Rainbow. It turns out that is a real thing, although it's officially called Pokemon Sun and Pokemon Moon. We first heard about these games through a leaked trademark, and Nintendo registered multiple web domains for Sun and Moon, but they officially announced the games in a Pokemon Direct last Friday. They're officially launching for 3DS in late 2016, and we did get a bunch of really quick glimpses at concept art, but no gameplay or anything like that. Uh, They did confirm Sun and Moon take place in a new world with new Pokemon, so it's safe to assume that this is going to be Gen 7. Um, We got some theories and speculation to get to based on some clues from X and Y and the history of the series, uh, stuff like that. But before we do, did you, any of you guys catch anything interesting from what we did see in the Direct? So another pretty clear sign that this is a new generation is I'm pretty sure the first piece of concept art we saw them sketching out in the trailer was a Pikachu concept art, and the fact that they're drawing out new concept art for old Pokemon does heavily lean toward a formal new generation. Yeah, that's a good point. I think probably a lot of people overlooked that because Pikachu's just the mascot of the series, and so making drawings of Pikachu is something that I would imagine happens a lot. But uh, (laughs) it's interesting that they would choose to show that. That they would show... Oh my god, I am the worst today. That they would choose to show that. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Blastoise fire truck. Yes! Okay, yes! So so I noticed that one. I'll, I'll go off with it first, I guess, if uh, that's what we're going to talk about. So there's this yellow truck with siren lights on top, and Blastoise riding in the back with its water pumps facing outwards, forward. So I'm wondering if that's supposed to be, like, a Pokemon fire truck, like, actually to put out fires? Um, <laughs> I mean, I doubt it would have to do much with, you know, the premise of the game, but it's really cool, at least, for fleshing out the world of Pokemon. Well, I would yeah. say, just in general, the, the concept art seemed to show more of a focus on V. Vehicle- 
vehicles that we've ever seen in like a previous game because usually absolutely there just aren't any at all other than like the Mew truck, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I uh, I think it's awesome that they're uh, doing concept art for vehicles. Hopefully, mm-hmm. I mean they'll make an appearance in the game. We don't know yet, but uh, yeah, it seems likely. And then you know there was like the. Uh, was it a machoke in a moving truck it looked like and then i saw yeah i think a couple the, fighting pokemon i like that this possibly means that pokemon will be more integrated into the society of whatever mm-hmm. games uh you know come out of this mm-hmm. and i would hope beyond I, I would hope beyond just pokemon being more integrated into the world we'd also have kind of things happening in the world around the player because one of the criticisms criticisms I've always had of the Pokemon games is the world feels very static around you. Unless you're participating oh, yeah. in something, it seems like nothing is happening. And it'd be nice to see that change. Yeah. And I, I noticed that sort of during the like uh, the build-up to the Sun and Moon reveal where they were showing footage from the old games, there was a segment where they showed like the bicycle and the roller skates and the various forms of transportation. And they talked about that a little bit, too. So I could see them really trying to evolve transportation going forward in Sun and Moon. Hmm. That could be really cool. You know, I did notice uh, there is this Pokemon ambulance sort of thing in their concept art. Um, So there were these little cool ambulances with, like, Pokeball designs on them. So I'm wondering if healing your Pokemon is going to be a little more accessible than it has been in the past. Um, So maybe you have, like... You you dial 911 and a (laughs) a Pokeball ambulance shows up. Well, I was thinking more like, uh, you know how, like, food trucks will drive around and just show up wherever with food? Could be something like that with... free health care. Yeah. Um, Or maybe, you know, like when you black out in battle and, you know, it says, you know, you rush to the Pokemon Center, uh, which they haven't done since Fire Red and Leaf Green, by the way. It's kind of disappointing. But either way, you know, when you black out in battle, then the Pokemon ambulance shows up and, you know, it rushes to the scene of your battle and that's how you get hauled off to the Poke ER. That definitely makes a lot more sense than being able to, like, get out of the middle of a cave with all of your Pokemon unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. How will we pay for all this free healthcare for Pokemon? I mean, they're not taxpayers. (laughs) Tax the Elite Four. Yeah. (laughs) The one (laughs) percent. Um, and then also, speaking of trucks, there was couple little drawings for something that looked suspiciously like the truck that legendarily hid Mew. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to turn into anything, but official could Mew be a event confirmed. Nice silly little you know, it, I think it was in Fire Red and Leaf Green, they made it so that if you managed to get to that truck, you got like a lava cookie or something like super worthless. <laughs> right. But like it that's was right. kind of cool too because it, it, hinted it was that something. Yeah, at least they acknowledged <laughs> that, you know, players are trying to get to it, but yeah. you'd think yeah. they would reward you with something a little cooler. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, so if you want to get more into the nitty-gritty, our pals at Game Explained did an excellent analysis and breakdown video of the direct, so you can check that out if you want. Um, but next, so we're going to dig into some of these theories. Uh, there are two that really stuck out to me. Uh, first is from a member of Game Theory, Gaijin Goomba. Great channel, very smart guy. He believes that Sun and Moon are based on Japanese Shinto mythology, and there are two reasons for this. One, because Pokemon's always based its legendaries around mythology, and the Sun and Moon gods are essentially the centerpiece of Shinto's mythological background. And two, surprisingly, because of Yokai Watch. That series is hardly picking up any speed out here in the West, but in Japan, it's an absolutely massive craze, even more popular than Pokemon, and it's a very Japan-centric game. Uh, it takes place very clearly in Japan. Its fundamental concept of yokai is based on Japanese folklore, so he's thinking that Game Freak is responding to that game's popularity by bringing Pokemon back to Japan, having it take place there, uh, maybe trying to, you know, combat it a little bit. Well, if that's true, that'd be pretty ironic, because Yokai Watch 3 takes place in America. 
<laughs> so seems like they uh if if that's what they're trying to do, I think they might have waited a little too long. Is that out yet in uh, Japan? Or? No, it's not. It's okay. it's still on the way, but okay. you know, Yokai Watch has already shifted its focus. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a little skeptical that that would might be would be the reason because I don't think that a game being set in Japan is necessarily like sales gold in Japan. I know right. a lot of like otaku culture revolves around heavily Japanese games, but I think a game with this kind of global appeal uh, that's not really necessary. They just need to make a really great Pokemon game, and people will get on board. That's true. Well, and then you also don't necessarily uh, have to have, although it, it does fit the mold of you know uh, the Sun and Shinto gods from. Uh, Japan, uh, you know, they've had gods from other mythologies in countries that were not of their native origin, you know, like in Kalos, they had things based on, uh, was the it Norse? Norse, Norse yeah. 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 Uh, the, the Hoenn legendaries are based in Hebrew mythology. Um, so yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of those things. Uh, but you know, to that same point, you could see it as, well, maybe it's time to look at Japan's mythology. That would be cool, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Okami, Pokemon edition. <laughs> uh, so another popular theory is based more on what we've seen in the past games. The conclusion is that Sun and Moon are essentially going to be to the Johto for Gen 6 and follow up Kalos directly, either by taking place in a region inspired by Spain or something like that, or by following up the story of Kalos, maybe even both. Um, there are tons of clues found in X and Y, like there's one town with a giant sundial, and someone says that there are moon dials out there too. Um, but perhaps the most damning connection is that Zygarde, who's recently gotten tons of new forms, and is a Pokemon that's powered by photosynthesis, it feeds off the sun, <laughs> has not had its chance to be highlighted in like a Pokemon Z or something like that. Yeah, um, I, I kind of am down for the whole Zygarde hiding a mystery about the next gen theory. Um, another mm-hmm. interesting thing you might observe about Zygarde is that when you look at the underlying theme, it's considered the Order Pokemon. And in some ways, it's kind of like an Earth God in the Kalos lore. So looking at the sun and moon theme of these new games, it sounds like we're going to be getting a heavenly counterpart to the Earth-based lore that we've already gotten from Mm. the existing Kalos games. And on top of that possibly meaning a connection to the Kalos games, I wonder if that means that we'll get uh, Pokemon that are a little less explicitly elemental this time around because they're going to be focusing on space and are theoretically focusing on space and space is kind of one of those things where you can take play with all kinds of ideas they don't have to be ideas that are based in earth Mm -hmm. yeah another interesting uh connection that could point to this sort of being like the kanto jota relationship is there's a couple different characters in x and y that talk about uh how they're from a different region and one of them lists off all of the regions and he's like oh it's none of those (laughs) so you know it seems like they were already hinting that they were kind of you know coming up with ideas for a new region so i think it would be really make a lot of sense for for the two to be side by side and maybe you know maybe we'll be actually able to see some of kalos and uh and sun and moon yeah yeah um, and part of the theory goes that it is the Johto to Kalos, so that you would be able to explore Kalos too, yeah. uh, in just the same way you could explore Kanto. But uh, you know, who knows if that's that's there's nothing concrete enough to believe in we that yet. But it's certainly yeah, we can dream. I'd like to believe that they could fit both regions onto a 3DS cart. I would imagine that they can. I mean, that was just such an awesome moment in yeah. you know, Gold and Silver, being able to go back and see how things have changed. So that'd be really cool for them to relive that in sort of the anniversary game. Yeah. yeah. Of course, Iwata was around to help with that. 
Yeah, I was just yeah. going to say we don't have a water to, to forcibly cram the games onto one part. <laughs> um, uh, but hopefully well, they've got a robust enough team that they that they don't need that kind of assistance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, and, and uh, then, of course, the original Pokemon games came out on Virtual Console. We've all learned since last week that Yellow Version still includes the Surfing Pikachu minigame, all games still have the Masigno glitch and the Mew glitch, and something we never thought would happen in our wildest dreams, you can use Pokemon Bank to bring your Gen 1 Pokemon all the way up to Sun and Moon. Uh, it looks like this won't happen with the Gen 6 games. It won't work. Uh, I tried and failed to use Pokemon Bank with my yellow version that I got, so I'm guessing there's a future update on Pokemon Bank that's going to make it all tick. But, man, Nintendo, you guys are amazing! Yeah, I really yeah. wasn't expecting this, just because there's, there's so much difference in terms of, like... <laughs> Pokemon statistics between second gen and third gen that you kind of have to like mm-hmm. rewrite their code a little bit with transferring them over. But obviously they've uh, either already have or are planning on putting something together to sort of convert their stats over. Right, right, and thank God too because that's just so amazing. You know, I I, I always felt like gens one and two were like lost forever, and here they are. You yeah. can even get your old teams back. Yeah, time I'm, to I'm, teach everyone Fisher. Exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm looking forward to bringing over the weird moose sets, um, like, you know, the <laughs> all the Pokemon that can learn Water Gun that make no sense, like mm-hmm. Nidoking. Uh, that'll be fun. And Taurus <laughs> can learn, like, Blizzard and Thunder and ridiculous crap. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'm really hoping that they'll do with this opportunity, in a similar vein, is take this moment to legitimize Missingno. <laughs> make it a real Pokemon number zero in whatever this next Pokedex is and be able to only get it from doing the glitch in red and blue. That would so, be so cool. I, I'm really glad that they kept the Mew glitch in because I immediately exploited that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fun and weird. You just, you know, walk in front of the gambler and then you're like, see ya, before yep. he can <laughs> teleport out of here. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, in other Pokemon news, Pokemon Go got an additional $5 million in investments, and we've got more news on the game coming soon. Whoa. I'm willing to bet it'll be revealed at GDC. Uh, and Drew Barrymore hosted an afternoon soiree on Pokemon Day to highlight a Pokemon fashion line, so that's a thing. Uh, she explained why she's doing that if you want to check it out. I'm still disappointed that it's not a Splatoon fashion line. I mean, yes, it's great <laughs> that we're getting some kind of brand extension for out of Nintendo, and I know we'll probably see more licensed stuff coming that isn't Pokemon, but Splatoon still feels like it's Nintendo's biggest brand in terms of like having an in-game fashion scene, and I'd love to see that spill over. Yeah, I could really see that take it off in Japan, especially. Yeah. yeah. A Splatoon fashion line would definitely be, be great, but I mean, I can see why if they're doing any series it's going to be pokemon because there's so many pokemon to base fashion off of and yeah it's, it's a way bigger brand than splatoon even yeah. if it doesn't have a prominent fashion feature in the game you know so with pokemon go i know we've we've talked about this before like it, it's pretty impressive that a mobile game brought in 30 million dollars in investments right out the gate and then now it just brought in an extra five more i mean you don't really hear about people lining up to invest in a new mobile game so it's really interesting to see like how much hype there is for this game that we've seen almost nothing of. Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, and this sounds like it's all coming from formal investors, too. This isn't a crowdsourcing thing. This no. Is a, this is a serious people putting down serious cash. Yeah. I have no idea what to expect, either. I hope it's going to be good. <laughs> With the amount of money that's going into it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, well, alright, so moving on from Pokemon news, last week we talked about Roy Lee, the producer of the Lego movie, who says he wants to make Nintendo films. He reiterated with Polygon recently, saying that he has seen the Mushroom Kingdom grow from pixels into a 3D world. Another Hollywood hotshot, the CEO of Prime Universe Films, jumped in to say the following. The Nintendo brand transcends the platform. You can say Nintendo, and for a lot of people it still represents video games. Everyone knows Nintendo. Kids, adults, it's multi-generational. They have these wonderful properties that most of us have grown attached to. For them not to take advantage of that would be a bad idea. That was a huge risk for Marvel, but they did it, and look at them now. The more iconic the characters are, the better the movies they'll make. Yeah, and we've been saying for a long time on this podcast that we would love to see uh, Nintendo emulate Marvel. Totally. So it's it's great to see that not only does uh, Nintendo listen to our podcast and do everything we say, <laughs> but really, uh, Hollywood does as well. So. <laughs> Yes, excellent. And honestly, you know, the Marvel comparison brings kind of to light that I feel like Nintendo, and even in their the relatively weak position they're in now, is in a pretty strong position compared to what, where a lot of these Marvel properties were prior to the, the Kickstarter, oh, the, totally. the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Totally. I mean, comic books have always been kind of a niche market. Yeah, nobody knew what Galaxy or uh, Guardians of the Galaxy was until exactly. the movie came out. And now it's like these comic book movies aren't even really seen as a risk anymore. Um, even those those smaller properties. Yeah. I mean, they're what everyone wants to emulate. Exactly. And, um, you know, you said they're not in as bad a place right now as Marvel was before, you know, these kinds of movies started coming up. Um, and that's not and, to say that Marvel was like, their business was in trouble or anything like right, that. It's right, right, right. just to say that the popularity of comic books seems like it's it wasn't never quite as good as the popularity of Nintendo games. And, you know, following along that logic, people say Nintendo shouldn't make movies because, you know, the Mario movie was bad 25 years ago or whatever. I mean, have you seen the Marvel movies from the 70s? Like The fault lies in the adapters, not the art of adaption. Yeah. That's... Yeah, right. That is the biggest misconception I've ever seen. Come on. Well, not ever, but... Um, um, but, uh, yeah, and to go off your point, Alex, they're also not in as bad a position as other game companies that are not doing as well. So, like, Sega, for example, the one yeah. property that they have that still has mainstream recognition is Sonic. And I wouldn't exactly call that mainstream recognition positive. So, <laughs> right. um, it's fun and goofy, but Sonic is not something that represents quality to a lot of people. Um, most of Nintendo's brands do represent not only delightful joy and fun and fun, you know, family friendliness, but also quality. So that's that's something that they've really got going for them. Yeah. Um, so Fire Emblem Fates sold over 300,000 copies in its launch weekend in North America, which is both a new record for the series and five times what Fire Emblem Awakening sold at launch. Alex, I know you're not impressed, and I'm curious why that is, because, you know, even though this is split between two versions, five times the launch sales of Awakening is a monumental leap. So some context for why I'm not impressed. First off, if you look back at the launch sales of Awakening, while they were pretty great for the Fire Emblem series, they were still not really good at all. I'd say really, really terrible, actually, among uh, other Nintendo games. And what we're seeing with Fates is that now that Fire Emblem Awakening is a million-plus seller, I think I've seen estimates peg Awakening at, like, 2 million life to date at this point. And one with tons of brand goodwill. The initial sales for a new game in the franchise are going to be much higher uh, more along the lines of what and we see in other Nintendo franchises. And they are. They're five times higher. Well, yes. <laughs> Let me finish my point. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not impressed by the sales numbers for Fates, mostly because this is exactly how you would expect the game coming off Awakening to be doing, especially when it's actually being sold as multiple products, all of which are counting toward the total. 
So what for me, what would really impress me is if Fates dwarfs the total life-to-date sales of Awakening, not just the first week sales, uh, without the gains kind of coming down to people buying uh, both versions. Okay. Okay. So it's not so much that you think this is a bad sales figure, just that it's, it's not blowing your mind. This is This is what people who understand you know brand momentum should have expected out of fire emblem and so for that reason i don't think it's necessarily a huge it's mostly a pr move to announce these particular numbers Mm -hmm. that's not to say that it's bad news that's just to say that it's not oh my gosh wow news okay Uh, So, next up, the director of Ori and the Blind Forest is mad at Nintendo for being so secretive about the NX. He and his team haven't been able to get a dev kit despite their pretty high respect in the industry, and they haven't even been told what kind of engine support NX has. Understandably, he's frustrated, and he makes several good points that hardware needs good software at launch, so they really should be pretty generous with their dev kits. Of course, on Nintendo's side, I'm sure they want to keep whatever big new idea the NX is as secret as possible before they unveil it. So I can understand why they would be so restrictive, even if it's not the best strategy. Well, to that, I would just say strict non-disclosure agreements, but well, yeah, maybe, that's, uh, maybe they don't have the time to negotiate that with all parties right. interested. Right. Well, a couple other things that I'd note about the situation, and, and one is that at first-party software, in particular third-party multi-platform software, which is always what you mean when you talk about non-indie games in today's market, those, those titles basically never sell Nintendo hardware. The presence of those games might make the system more attractive on the whole to people who are considering buying one, but it's pretty much unheard of to see a third-party game be the driving factor for Nintendo sales. Now, that's, of course, focusing on the traditional games market, not games like Just Dance, where they do get a really big following, but they're also targeting Nintendo's new market. Uh, And the second point is uh, third-party developers, from what I remember, uh, were the source of most of the early bad PR surrounding Wii U before it launched. Yeah. You had developers talking smack about hardware specs. You had them giving Wii U mostly late ports to games that launched earlier in the year or even the year before. Meanwhile, releasing full game collections on PS3 and 360. Um, You had them throwing lots of shade about the online infrastructure, about the prospects for more software down the road. Like, none of that was was good for Nintendo. And so you can bet your sweet ass that they're going to play their cards close to their chest and only get parties interested parties that are really on board with their vision for the platform to uh, kind of know the full details Mm -hmm. and on top of that you know nintendo isn't going based on the role third parties have played in nintendo's sales recently they're not going to be wanting the hardware to succeed on the metrics that that matter to third parties they're going to want the hardware to succeed based on the popularity of their own games instead of uh you know wanting to make games that align with third parties so So, for our final story today, you may remember this from last week, but a YouTuber called SuperMetalDave64 has been leaking lots of Nintendo rumors lately, and NeoGaf did verify that his source was a Nintendo of America employee. This week, he removed all his recent rumor videos with no explanation, although I may have one. Uh, People have been snooping around the source code for sites related to Pokemon Sun and Moon, and the game's codename was indeed Pokemon Niji, which was a big part of Metal Dave's claim. There's no way he would have nailed this without legitimate insider information. So, I mean, the logical conclusion is just that he deleted the videos for fear that his source may be outed and punished. I have a slightly different logical leap, which is that uh, Nintendo's ninjas actually went after him directly and tried to secure a takedown. 
Um, I think if he really is touting company secrets, and in particular, you want to look at the those marketing budget figures that we got last week, there's no way Nintendo's going to let the original source for that information uh, go unaddressed. Yeah. Now, unfortunately true. for Nintendo, and fortunately for us, the information's already out there, already widely distributed. They're never going to be able to get rid of it, so there's no containing that leak <laughs> at this point. Mm-hmm. But at least they've responded to it. Yeah. Um, now, in another related, but maybe not related, note, I heard Eric Peterson from Treehouse uh, left Nintendo this week. Oh, yeah, after like like thirteen years I or something. I don't think that that's connected, but it's possible. Interesting. So I'm just yeah, I think that out uh, there. I think he said it was a. I think Super Metal Dave said his source was a Nintendo of America marketing employee. So it wouldn't be Eric mm. then. But well, mm. one of the caveats he said was that Nintendo of America basically is a giant marketing arm for Nintendo. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if that really means anything. Right. You know. All right. So. Yep. Well, uh, so it sounds like we're done with all our concrete news here. So let's take it on over to the gossip stone. Here we are with the Gossip Stone, where we discuss the latest updates from the old rumor mill. After each one, we're going to go around and weigh in with our final verdicts, whether we think the rumors are true or trubbish. I think we'll have this segment before the break from now on, because it's largely news-based, but either way, y'all ready? Sure. Oh, we're ready. All right. So, the first story on our plate comes from Dual Pixels, who reports that a very reliable source who previously leaked Fairy-type and Mega Evolution for Pokemon X and Y, leaked information about PS4's hardware, and the existence of Microsoft's Illumaroom all correctly. Uh, this source has now revealed a megaton of information about the NX, so buckle up. So, apparently the NX will be about as powerful as the Xbox One. Its hardware will be built almost exactly like Sony and Microsoft's current-gen consoles, and it can play games coded for either with next-to-no modification, especially if they're built in Android OS or Unreal Engine 4. One developer said, It's the easiest device we've ever developed for. You just take your code, compile it, and it works. One of its core concepts is integrating many disparate devices and network services in one place so that it can constantly involve the user's life. You can use Bluetooth to sync NX to all kinds of devices, including smartphones and tablets, and this connectivity will let you answer phone calls and read texts from the NX. Not only that, but it's going to take multiplayer games, AR features, and street pass functionality to a whole new level. Uh, We don't know what that means, but the rumor says that you can look to Pokemon Go when that comes out to get a sense for what these kinds of features will look like. Now, all this may sound totally crazy, but get this. The biggest strength of the system is how easy it will be to use. Developers say the NX's appearance looks like Samsung had a baby with the Nintendo 2DS. Uh, It operates on software called Nintendo S, which is very powerful and includes many modern features from mobile devices. Now, it's these reasons that Nintendo is being so secretive about the NX, because they fear consumers might mistake it for an Android device if it's revealed in the wrong way. And if this all sounds scary to you, fear not, because it does sound like it will still be a dedicated games device. It has a wireless HDMI dongle based on the streaming technology that the Wii U gamepad used, which plugs into any device, including the NX, to stream HDMI signals to a TV set. Its control sticks have added haptic feedback, so for example, you can run into a wall in a game, and then the control stick will give you a little nudge to make it feel like you really ran into it. Uh, And finally, to top it all off, he quoted a Nintendo employee working on the NX who says that they've not seen seen this much forward momentum on a project since we launched the original Famicom. Wow. Yeah. 
So, what's interesting is a lot of this is actually pretty similar to rumors we've heard in the past. Yeah. So, I, I don't find any of it particularly hard to believe, because this is not the first report we've seen where we were told it would be right. comparable in power to Xbox One. Uh, it's not the first report we've seen that has said it can run Unreal Engine 4. We've seen other reports comparing it to Android devices or suggesting that it could, uh, you know, run, run on Android, Android yeah. or, you know, something similar. And we know that Nintendo was developing software tools to make it super easy to develop for future platforms. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and when there was a patent for haptic feedback. Yep. So, like, all of this, almost all of this is stuff we've we've heard before. The only thing that seems new, but it's something we've speculated about in this podcast, is that it sounds like it's going to be x x86 architecture, just like PS4 and Xbox One. Whereas in the past, Iwata had, had said that it was going to be very similar in architecture to Wii U. And we'd kind of speculated that maybe that they would back off of that and, uh, you know, change to, to cater to third parties a little more. And it sounds like they have. Yeah. Yep. Um, another sort of layer to add to what you were saying about the architecture, Ben, um, I've heard some other interpretations of Awada's comment from a few years ago, suggesting that maybe they're talking about specific tool chains that they built for Wii U, porting them over to NX, and then reusing that work that way. So it could be that we were just mistaken about the scope of his quote in the first place. Interesting. Um, yeah, and so, Ben, you mentioned that all of this is information that we've already heard before. Um, and I wonder, I don't think it is, but I wonder if this is almost... Too, too on too familiar, point. right? This is. It feels like this is matching just about every single other report that we've heard, and in some ways that may make it seem more legitimate. Uh, I, I think it makes it seem more legitimate because this cohesive vision really encapsulates just about everything that we've heard about the NX before in this cohesive way that really sounds like something Nintendo would do. At the same time, because it hits so many points, I wonder if that makes it sound just a little. Too true. Suspicious. It's like when a uh, when an E three games list leaks, quote unquote, ahead of time, and it's everything you would expect. Like, oh, new Paper Mario, and you know, new that, you know, like everything that you know everyone's hoping for. It kind of seems like that, but then at the same time, it's coming from someone who has a very reliable track record. Right, right, and that alone, I think, is enough reason for me to say that this rumor is true. I will also throw my vote into truth. I'm comfortable with at least the stuff that we've heard before being true. Mm -hmm. Some of the other details, like, for example, the wireless HDMI, may they do sound very much like something Nintendo would do. Uh, I certainly have speculated in the past that they would want to reuse the streaming tech from Wii U. Yeah. Um, But I just don't have any way to say whether that's likely or not. And I'm a little more skeptical of sources than I think... uh, Maybe I should be. So I'm going to go with mostly true. Uh, You always do this. You got to make the leap of faith, man. I'm sure I could be eating my words in a couple months, but... To be fair, almost every rumor has, like, a few slightly misinterpreted nuggets in it. I know. That's why... Yeah, when you were talking about this being almost too true, that that really spoke to me, because a lot of this is, like, so similar to stuff we've heard before that it wouldn't take any inside information whatsoever to come up with this. Right. So... Right. For that reason, I'm withholding some of my faith. All right. But but I'm mostly, mostly confident. Okay. So the next rumor on our plate is that a major third-party studio is porting a high-profile game to the NX. So this is super vague. It lines up almost exactly with what we heard about Final Fantasy last week, and it's completely in line with the rumors we just discussed. So I imagine we all say it's true. I realize this will run directly in contrast with what I was saying about third-party developers earlier in the show, but I will still say, nonetheless, that this had better be freaking true. 
All right. Yeah, you know, like we said last week with them including Cloud and Final Fantasy or in uh, Super Smash Bros, I think it was sort of a way to reignite the Nintendo fan base passion for Final Fantasy and especially for Cloud. So yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be true. Yep, I say true. So our third and final rumor this week is that Nintendo is teaming up with Disney to make their feature films. This was reported by Go Nintendo, which says that the information is solid enough to share, but it is absolutely still a rumor. Uh, that said, someone sent them in a PowerPoint presentation supposedly made for Hasbro by Cisco to analyze and combat the practices of Hasbro's competitors. One slide on Disney mentioned a very brief point that they were coming together with Nintendo to make movies. So we really don't have much information to assess this rumor's credibility, but we can discuss the content. Nintendo and Disney, what do you think? I think after the success of Wreck-It Ralph, and in particular the very respectful way Wreck-It Ralph used a bunch of gaming properties, but in particular Nintendo's gaming properties, I think Nintendo would definitely be interested in pursuing a deeper relationship with Disney. Okay. That said, I I think it'd be a little weird because they kind of snubbed Disney on the theme park thing. Yeah, So it would be odd to me if they pursued a, a film partnership with Disney and then had this theme park right. business. And that's that's what I'm curious about, but I'm wondering if perhaps if this is true, if perhaps they were in talks with Disney to try to get this theme park thing going and Disney was just saying, "Look, sorry, we just can't put that much money into it. You know, we don't have enough space to build new parks." Well, they're doing Star Wars. They're doing Star Wars Land already. So they're, they're busy yeah. with Star Wars. Yeah, I mean that could be part of it. But also, um, I wonder if they just have enough space around the parks anymore. Uh, and uh, some, something yeah. like a Nintendo theme park would be such a huge undertaking. Yeah. That I don't know that Disney would want to, you know, let that sort of take focus away from what Disney already offers and and the whole Disney land and Disney world. Whereas Universal doesn't have any of those things. So Disney might be saying, well, we want to stick to Disney. You guys can do what you want with theme parks, but we'll work with you on movies. Yeah, I would definitely say that uh, it it sounds to me like maybe Disney wasn't as active in pursuing Nintendo because Nintendo was in talks with Universal for like five years before they finally announced anything. So it sounded to me like Universal really wanted this and was hounding Nintendo for it and eventually won them over, whereas Disney, you know, making Nintendo movies, that makes a ton of sense. Right. And not that making Nintendo theme parks doesn't, but, you know, it's it's quite an undertaking and maybe doesn't seem like something that could be pulled off quite as easily. So I could see them not really actively pursuing that sort of thing, whereas Universal was. Mm. Um, so I... <sighs> I don't know if we can even say whether this is true or trubbish, but uh, at least as far as speculation goes, do you think this is plausible? We all say yes? Oh, well, the content-wise, yes. I'd say it's plausible, especially because Nintendo recently said during an investor meeting that they are making significant progress on expanding into uh, shows and films. Yeah. So I don't know if that's going to be Disney necessarily, but... Right, right. I'd say Disney is probably the preferred partner, but that doesn't mean that they're the likely partner. And, but I, I still am leaning toward Drew. Okay. Um, okay. I think I think based on kind of what I was saying earlier about Wreck-It Ralph, it's kind of a where there's there's smoke, there's fire situation. It'd be a lot simpler for Nintendo to pursue this relationship than try to, to, to cultivate another one. Yeah. Cool, cool. All right. Then uh, with that all done, let's go to the lightning round. 
We've now arrived at the beloved lightning round where we bring you little nuggets of information from the past week. If you want to read more about any of these stories, you can check them out at Gamnesia.com. The latest podcast episode will show up in the scrolling feature bar at the top of the site, and on that page you'll see all these links. So first up, we got some recent releases and stuff that is now available for you. 3DS Pokemon players can now get Celebi from Mystery Gift over Wi-Fi. You can now sign up to join the Kanto-themed Pokemon tournament in Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. You can pre-order Pokemon Sun and Moon at Amazon, Best Buy, and GameStop. A new Story of Seasons game is now available for the 3DS. Speaking of 3DS, the system turned 5 years old on February 26th. And more importantly, I turned 25 years old on February 26th. Aw, happy birthday, Nintendo 3DS! (laughs) (laughs) And and February 27th, Pokemon officially turned 20 years old. Uh, There were tons of celebrations for Pokemon Day, including one from Nintendo NY, which you can check out a ton of great photos for at Gamnesia.com. So, happy birthday, Pokemon, too! And Ben. And Ben, I guess. We'll, we'll <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, so it occurred to me that between the momentous birthday for Pokemon and the one for Zelda, it, it it's so funny to me how many of Nintendo's major huge franchises got kicked off in February of all months. It seems right? like February now is considered like the month where games go to die. Um, I guess January was worse. But like this is typically not the season for for well, I mean Zelda, Pokemon, all these things did They're so badly. Old. I mean, I it's know. A, that's obvious why. It's just <laughs> it's not like they spawned multi million dollar franchises. Maybe this should be a sign to Nintendo that you don't have to release everything in the crowded holiday months. You just have to release really good things. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, box over. Uh, <laughs> next, we've got some upcoming dates to look out for. Sometime in March, Mitomo and My Nintendo both launch. March 4th, Twilight Princess HD and the Wolf Link Amiibo launch, and the Kanto Tourney in Pokemon Auras begins. Uh, that is this Friday, so if you want any of those, be on the lookout. March 10th, Famitsu is holding a special live stream to celebrate Sakurai's 500th column. 500th column. Uh, March 11th, the next wave of Nintendo Select launches. This is the one that leaked a few weeks ago, so it's since been confirmed. And they will be $19.99 in the States, not the, uh, I think it was $29.99 that they had for Canada. That is amazing. Tropical Freeze is absolutely worth that much. Uh, So, March 14th, GDC starts, and Niantic is showing off Pokemon Go there, so could be a reveal. Uh, And March 18th, tons of Nintendo stuff is coming out. Pokemon Tournament, new controllers and stuff, lots of Amiibo. Get those wallets ready. And then finally, a rundown of all the smaller things that happened this past week. Twilight Princess HD has a new Ghost Lantern item to help you to help you locate Pose. It also features screenshots from the Zelda U trailer as an Easter egg. And Unseen 64 has dug up tons of information about the top secret Pilot Wings game for GameCube. Cliff Blazinski and the Dark Side developers were hugely influenced by the Zelda games, not just for the games that they make, but they were influenced as people uh, and how they see games. Um, and an interview with the team behind Fire Emblem Fates was recently published, which has some cool stuff to learn, so you can check those stories out at Gamnesia as well. We've got new trailers for Twilight Princess HD, Bravely Second, Fire Emblem Fates, and Hyrule Warriors Legends, the latter of which shows off its robust cast of characters, plus a new commercial for Pokken Tournament. Bandai will soon be selling enormous, adorable Snorlax plushies you can lie down in and sleep forever. They hit that one right on the nose. Oh, man, I know. I want, like, ten of them. <laughs> They're only, like, $460. What a too. steal! Um, you can get several Animal Crossing Amiibo for just under $3 with a special promotion at Fry's. You can get a free poster by pre-ordering Pokémon Tournament at GameStop. You can get a $10 voucher by getting the Twilight Princess HD Amiibo bundle at Toys R Us. Amazon is offering lots of Amiibo at discounted prices, including Lucas and the Splatoon 3-pack. And Amazon and Best Buy are offering a bunch of discounts on Zelda games, so now is a good time to pick up any of the ones you missed out on. 
A fan recreated A Link to the Past's opening storm sequence in Unreal Engine 4. It looks gorgeous. And fans are making a documentary about the best Smash players in the world called Metagame. You can check a preview out for that documentary now. All right, everybody. Well, this marks the end of this week's news and whatnot. We're going to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because we've got more awesome Nintendo discussions coming right up. In the meantime, please enjoy an awesome 8-bit remix of Pokemon X and Y's bicycle theme once again by our friend Bulby on YouTube. We are back with more Nintendo Week. I'm your host, Colin Mikazic, joined by Alex Plant. I'm still a Bulbasaur. Ben Lamoureux. He's the best Bulbasaur. And Braxton Burks. Hi. I, <laughs> I want to... You're not going to go, Braxton! 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 <laughs> Uh, I want to start off this week's discussion with a quick round of the Game Corner, a segment here on the show where we discuss what we've been playing lately, and then take it to a new segment called Places and People, where we sit down with mostly only people uh, in a sort of interview format. For those of you who have been listening for a long time, it's basically just our little interviews that we've done in the past, so it should be an easy adjustment. Um, I also want to take a quick second here to thank all the listeners who sent in Mystery House questions since last week. We've got a flood of awesome new questions to answer, so you can look forward to more Mystery House in future episodes, and we'd love for you guys to keep the questions rolling in. So with that all said and done, let's head on over to the Game Corner! Here we are at the Game Corner, a segment where we shoot the breeze about games that have just come out, what we've been playing, stuff like that. Uh, the three of us Nintendo Week veterans made some vague challenge or other about completing our playthroughs of the Pokemon Virtual Console games. I don't even remember what it was, but I just want to go around real quick, and all four of us can touch base on our progress in those. Uh, and then Brax, if you want, maybe just give us a quick sample of some of the stuff you've been up to lately. So I, I totally don't remember making this challenge, so this must have been one of the uh, segments where I was a little intoxicated. Don't don't drink in podcast, <laughs> Don't, don't drink podcast. It's a family show. I think it was probably uh, like you, nothing more than just declaring each other rivals, maybe. Uh, we, we were rivals. So I guess I'll go first. Uh, I have gotten to Fuchsia City. How many badges do I have? I don't even know. I think I have four. Were you intoxicated um, while playing, Alex? No, no, not 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 this time. I'm sick in playing, mm. so uh, I, I may be in a a cold induced delirium. Yeah, yeah, um, we're all pretty sick. But uh, my Pokedex is sitting, I believe, at forty Pokemon caught okay. right now. I have not been super aggressive at that after getting through rock the the, the rock tunnel, mm-hmm. which is usually when I start burning out on trying to catch everything every time yeah. I see it. Um, and I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, I've been nicknaming all my Pokemon, uh, at least the ones that I can remember, uh, the nicknames that I gave them when I played it 20 years ago, mm-hmm. um, which has been really nostalgic trippy for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great. I love Pokemon. I, yeah. I forgot how steep the difficulty curve in this is in these games, though. Is it really? Uh, especially early on. Mm. Um, was was not ready. I'm um, at Mount Moon right now. My guys are around level 15 or so. Um, so maybe I'm not ready for that. Hey, I think, I'm working very hard, Ben. I know. <laughs> I think what does it is that in the more recent games, the Pokemon tend to learn their like type moves yeah. pretty early on. Yeah. And in this game, it's like 
Some of them never learn anything. You have to TM them up. My Pidgey's only attack is still Gust, and that's a normal type move in this game. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> at least it still gets the the attack bonus, I think, because it's also a normal type. But, oh, that's true. But it doesn't help you against the bug types. It doesn't right. stab his life. Right. Yeah. All right, um, Ben, you are where? Uh, let's see. I just got my fourth batch, okay. so I'm in I'm in Solidad. Uh, I have... I'm actually... I got my 3DS right here. <laughs> I have seen 71 Pokemon. I have caught 34. Okay. And my team is pretty much all in the upper... Mid to upper 20s. I have a... I exploited the Mew glitch, so I've got a level 30 Mew, but <laughs> other than that, everyone else is like 25 to 29. What level is Alex uh, Plant? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, I've been giving ridiculous nicknames to all my Pokemon, <laughs> and I couldn't think of a terrible pun for, uh, a grass type, so I just named my Bulbasaur Alex Plant. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's all come together. <laughs> yep. Um, Perspective. Yeah, I've got a uh, I've got a Kadabra named Spooner because why not? Uh, he's got I think I think mine's name my my Kadabra is Spoony Bard. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Excellent. Um, that's very good. And then uh, my Mew is named Amusing with uh, oh, M E W uh, in there because uh, you know, that's uh, amusing. Uh, uh, uh. And yeah. then, this one's particularly great. We're going to be hearing some Waluigi sounds in a second Uh-oh. here. Uh, I've got a, uh, a Mankey named Ape Sheik. So every time I throw it into battle, it says, Go Ape Sheik. <laughs> I thought you were going to, I thought it was going to be nicknamed something like Waluigi, and you'd expect me to just go, Wah! I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you did it anyway. I did it anyway, so, so there you go. Gotcha. Um, all right, cool. And Braxton, have you been uh, playing these ones? No, I haven't. Honestly, I can't decide if I want red, blue, or yellow. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, well, it would seem like yellow is the best choice because you could get all three starters, but there's a heap of Pokemon you can't get in yellow because of that, so. Right. I, yeah, I I can't make up my mind. Because I, <laughs> I went with, with Gen 2, so I yeah. don't have, you know, an original Pokemon game from Gen 1 that I... That you're like really attached to. Yeah. 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 I chose yellow this time around just because it, it's the one that I haven't replayed. Um, or at least, at least it's different from the other two in a significant enough way that like if I played red twice and blue once, then, you know, it's yellow is still a more different experience. Um, even if it's, I've played it just as many times as blue cause it's just more different, mm-hmm. but, um, cool, cool, cool. Uh, and what have you been up to lately? Oh, me? Yeah. Well, uh, I've been. You might be surprised by this, but I've been playing the Melodica. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Not not a video game, but the Melodica. <laughs> um, no, I I just bought this cheap Melodica for uh, Magfest, which is the oh yeah music and games festival in Maryland. Yeah. And uh, I got to meet a bunch of PokeTubers like uh, Glitch X City and Professor Waffles, aka Maryland, and other awesome folks from the internet. Um, and we had a couple of late night jam sessions. Oh yeah. Um, or mostly just me like interrupting conversations with really bad <laughs> melodica playing. <laughs> so that's that's fun. I could I could play you a, a sample. Yeah, do you like, want to play us the uh, play little, us the song of your people, Bossa Nova of um, <laughs> uh, Saffron City? There, oh gosh, lead I us into places that. and people. Well, I could play another Pokemon tune. Um, let's see. Uh, oh god, this is gonna pressure's <laughs> on. It takes some dexterity because you have to play with one hand while holding it with the other hand. So. Oh, I see. Um,
It's as terrible as it sounds. <laughs> it's I mean, it, the instrumentation works a lot better than I would have expected. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a little more fitting for, uh, you know, something like Mediterranean, like, oh, I don't know, like Kiki's delivery service theme, mm. which I've been practicing a lot. It sounds oh, like cool. an accordion, which is a yeah, little more natural. Yeah, like. I'm, thinking, I'm actually going to use that for the uh, like outro tag at the oh, end. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> and I must say that would fit right in with the Italian get-togethers my in-laws have. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's take it to places and people. Uh, the next segment we're introducing here. So let's go. Welcome to Places and People, the last segment on this week's show. Places and People is essentially an interview and discussion segment where we kick back with cool people from around the Nintendo sphere to talk about what they do and the great insights they can bring to the show on some topics. So this week, of course, we got Braxton Burks here from Pokemon Reorchestrated, which has recently been hit with copyright strikes and been taken down from YouTube. So we're really going to dig into what's been going on online lately. Um, and, and Braxton, let's start from the beginning here. Do you want to give us a lightning quick history? on your background with Pokemon and uh, orchestration projects? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, my background with Pokemon is I, I've grown up with the uh, the show, the games, and the, the trading card game. So, mm-hmm. um, I yeah, I've loved it basically since childhood. And um, at one point, my interest in film music and film scoring intersected with my love for Pokemon and the, mm. uh, the tunes from the Pokemon soundtracks, and I decided to tackle a project called Pokemon Reorchestrated, uh, which is dedicated to making really pretty orchestral renditions of Pokemon music. Yeah, very cool. Okay, and so, and how did that evolve into the Kanto Symphony? Because I know, uh, I know, I've seen your projects from a long, long time ago. Yeah, like, you know, you've Bark been Town around and, since the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, sure. so how did that evolve into the Kanto Symphony and beyond? Evolve. Uh, hey. Uh, yeah. Um, obligatory evolve. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. So, um, uh, in the early days of Pokemon Reorchestrated, I was, I again. Uh, as I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, that I was just making dinky remixes in mm-hmm. uh, GarageBand and uh, exporting them and mm-hmm. turning them into videos for YouTube. And it, they started catching on, and some people were, you know, encouraging me to do more. So um, eventually I, I, like, bit the bullet and bought some orchestral sample libraries, which you may know are quite expensive. <laughs> yeah. Oh um, my god. I had to I had to use some uh some of my savings for uh college cuz I was like it was winter break my first mm. year of college and I was like, "Oh, uh I got to do this." <laughs> I just, you know. <laughs> did you get to use them in school though? What's that? It was at least it, did you get to use them in school? At least put the uh the college funds back into college in some way? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, that's I that's was, good. Um yeah, I'll, I'll get to that part. Okay. Cool, cool. Um, eventually, yeah, my, my project took off and the quality of my orchestrations got better and I was doing a lot more arranging instead of just straight up, uh, you know, ripping MIDI from vgmusic.com. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so I, I kind of like had to teach myself music theory and piano and all of this stuff to... Um, create these orchestrations and eventually I was like you know I'm not pushing myself hard enough and there was something 
I want to tackle a big project. So I was like, why not do orchestrations from Red and Blue? And so I decided to do the whole soundtrack, not just a few tracks. Um, and then I released Canto Symphony in Sept, or it was I think it was October of 2012. Um, and that had... 35 tracks with about 78 minutes of arrangements mm. from Red and Blue. Um, it took me about a year to complete, and at the time I was I was working uh, at a couple of different jobs. I, I worked as a sales clerk at this container store called Storables. There's actually a store called the Container Store, but we're like... <laughs> That's where I thought you were going with this. No, no, I well... I, it's like an offshoot, kind of. Okay. They're competitors. Ooh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, uh, if my old boss is listening. <laughs> um, and I also worked at this place where I made crepes and sold them at like a, a food truck, basically. Uh, okay. And those, that's what I was doing while I was making the album. I would just mm-hmm. come home and, you know, um, immerse myself in uh, m- the music from Red and Blue, and yeah. then I would try to you know, arrange it in a really fun way, really uh, a way that I enjoyed that, you know, was reminiscent of film scores by like John Williams, Danny Elfman, as well as a bunch of video game composers that I love. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, and then it, when it came out, um, it was a huge hit, uh, caught me by surprise, like how hugely successful it was. And that's, due to the fans who had followed mm-hmm. the work for so long and were spreading the word about the album like i i had no idea that it would reach mm-hmm. so many people and resonate with so many f- other pokemon fans and um yeah basically after that uh i was able to release licensed cover albums like kanto in the future and basically make a living off of it and i find that fantastic <laughs> Yeah. 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 So, and so, so Canto Symphony came out, you, you followed it up with uh, some other projects and uh, there was Hoenn Summer. So, so these songs and the albums, they've been doing really, really well on, you know, lots of music websites and they're very popular um, and they're very, very good. So if any of you guys are listening to this and want to check it out, I mean, it's great stuff. You can only get it right now on the, the music services because of what we just mentioned about YouTube and what we'll get into in a minute. Um, but yeah, so if you want to check it out, that's where you can find it. Um, and so, Braxton, what what happened here on YouTube, and and what's the current status of your projects because of that? Okay, so <laughs> it's it's been a rough and tumble month. Uh-huh. Um, at the beginning of February, I received two copyright strikes against my YouTube channel for. Um, the inclusion of copyrighted material in my videos and Hmm. it kind of it caught me off guard because the videos cited were only the the Canto Symphony uh, videos Hmm. that I'd for those who don't know or follow my channel I actually upload all of my music or uploaded (laughs) music to my YouTube channel for everyone to listen to um, you know if they uh, wanted to you know get a taste of it and then go buy the album show show their support um, but, uh, yeah, at that point they had taken down all of the Canto Symphony videos. Um, none of my other videos though. So I, I thought there was something particularly wrong with 
some content in the Canto Symphony videos. The thing is, uh-huh. with YouTube copyright strikes, when uh, YouTube receives a takedown notice from a company for you know uh, copyrighted content that they own being in someone's video, they don't give a very clear explanation of what that was, what the content right. was. So I can't be sure if it was audio in nature or visual or if there was any copyrighted images, but... Um, I'm 100% sure I didn't use any copyrighted images or logos, and the music itself was licensed by Louder, which actually pays a percentage of royalties to uh, the original copyright owners of the music. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the, it was really confusing when that when all of those video videos went down, and naturally I I went to Twitter and social media to talk about it because um, I was afraid that this might be part of a trend, the beginning of a trend where more videos were getting taken down. Of course, this was this is in the wake of um, Nostalgia Critics, uh, big movement, uh, yeah, uh, hashtag. WTFU. <laughs> Where's yeah. the fair use? It's only tangent- tangentially related. Um, right. Whereas, you know, his argument, um, Nostalgia Critic's argument uh, against YouTube being a, a, a poor platform for uh, creators is that uh, they're overlooking uh, the fair use of certain content in, you know, say, news reviews or. Um, materials that don't you know profit off of um the content or or if they do it's for a critical analysis or parody or satire and that you know falls under fair use um whereas in my situation um it seems more like there is a lack of communication going on and youtube's policies regarding copyright strikes and the actions taken um, by YouTube uh, to reinforce their guidelines serve the publishers, like big publishers and uh, movie studios and people who own all that content uh, rather than the small creators, rather than give them the benefit of a doubt or give them a chance to, uh, you know, file uh, a counterclaim I mean, you can still file a counterclaim, but, you know, they'll take down your videos first. (laughs) Right. You know, they won't, they, they'll take them down and ask You don't get the benefit of the doubt. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a, uh. And often it sounds like a lot of the time they won't even really pay attention to the counterclaims. Um, and, and they're just in general, they're, and maybe it's a result of pressure from these studios and maybe it's just a, a lack of accountability and a lack of responsibility. But, um, for whatever reason, they're just ignoring these very fair use issues that is already ratified in U S law and in international laws about copyrights and what fair use is and, and where it's allowed to exist on YouTube. Cause so much of their system is automated too, that it doesn't necessarily have the ability to separate fair use from, you know, from just copyright infringement. Right. And that's, yeah, it's uh, all of those factors are, you know, contributing to, mm-hmm. uh, YouTube's, I don't know, uh, decline in recent months. And, um, addressing the, the subject of, uh, automatically detected, you know, uh, copyrighted content with their like, uh, content ID, uh, system. Mm-hmm. My videos were actually taken down, 
um, directly by the Pokemon company. So someone actually manually filed takedown notices for these videos. And um, so after, I think it was about a week and a half to two weeks after my Kanto Symphony videos were taken down, uh, my channel received another copyright strike. I had, you know, sent an email. Well, I'd sent emails to YouTube and the Pokemon company asking for clarification as to what Mm -hmm. uh, infringing content was in my videos because I was very confused about that. (laughs) And, of course, I didn't get a response. Um, And... And then before I could take any action on my account and, you know, uh, maybe take down my videos and restructure them or um, re-upload shorter previews of clips um, or something like that, just so I, I could err on the, the side of caution, the, right. the whole channel just went down and yeah. I wasn't able to recover anything. Um hmm. I lost 51,000 subscribers as well as all of my videos. I do have some of them backed up, but a lot of them are not, so that's kind of terrible. Um, And to this day, I still don't have an answer as to exactly why they were taken down, um, apart from, you know, there potentially being a, uh, I don't know, some issue with the licensing. I think I had heard you talking... And I maybe I'm imagining things, but I thought I heard you say something that you had one type of license, yeah, but not so, the type of license that allowed you to re-upload on YouTube. Right, and that was uh, that was I made a series of updates during mm-hmm. this period of time um, where I I wanted to speak directly to my followers and anyone who would listen about uh, you know uh, the takedown of all of my videos and this very sudden and I don't know. Um, thuggish behavior that mm-hmm. was happening, um, and uh, yeah, the, in the second video, I talked about sync license, which was something I'd heard about from a colleague who knows more about copyright um, or U.S. copyright law, and was telling me, you know, I I don't have a sync license to the music, but. Uh, and that my videos might got might have gotten taken down for that reason, but at the same time, I'm not sure I believe that 100% either because there are tons of covers on YouTube, um, which under that logic would be illegal and mm-hmm. haven't been taken down. So I, I can only speculate as to the exact reasons why the videos were taken down, but yeah, <laughs> and they still haven't replied to like your uh, your emails. No, I've I've sent an email to the Pokemon Company. I did not receive a reply from them. I sent an email to YouTube asking if I could uh, reinstate my channel, and this was through um, my partner at the time, Full Screen. Um, that's another subject. I also uh, partnered with Full Screen in 2012 and uh, monetized my videos uh, under the assumption that my cover songs uh, would be, or were rather being licensed and that uh, shared ad revenue from monetization would go to the Pokemon company oh, or I the see, original copyright I holders. And I was in correspondence with my rep from full screen at the time who, uh, you know, urged me as well as a bunch of other musicians to go and monetize our video game covers. So I, I thought that was a okay. So I sent them an email um, asking 
you know, uh, if there was a way to reinstate my channel and uh, YouTube rejected it, and I have still yet to hear from a rep from full screen. Really? So even your partnership channel even, is not... Even my partner hasn't uh, given me um, answers. Are they normally good about communicating? Do you think there's they're maybe under the Pokemon company's thumb in some way? Like, is this abnormal? I honestly haven't been in touch with uh, a rep from full screen in quite a while. I Okay. Um, it's... Yeah. <laughs> they, okay. They... Uh, you know, our relationship has been pretty distant. Um, I haven't, I just learned actually a couple of weeks ago that my original rep, who is, I was in touch with at the time that Canto Symphony came out, um, mm -hmm. moved on to another job. So I, I I'm basically left in this weird limbo, like, oh, who do I talk to now? <laughs> right. Okay. So based on what you've said, would it be fair to say that the most frustrating part of this whole process has been the sort of lack of recourse that you've gotten, uh, in particular because that sort of makes the effects of the initial takedown a lot more uh, long-term? Yeah, I, I honestly, I'm just shocked that I wasn't given a, a straight answer about what the infringing content was because I obviously don't want to make that mistake again, and now right. I, I'm just sort of constantly paranoid that anything I upload that's video game related is going to be taken down or, you know, I'm going to be threatened with C and D's or, you know, what have you. And well, yeah, especially since it was filed manually rather than just by a computer program. Yeah. That, that terrifies me a little bit. I, I only want to do good by the Pokemon company and YouTube, but when yeah. there is this lack of communication and this, um, prioritization of the big publishers over the small creators who helped make YouTube the successful platform it is today. Uh, you know, it's, it's very discouraging. Right. And so, I mean, that's getting into something else too, that when the Pokemon company and other publishers go after channels like this, what they're really doing is they're shutting down the PR that they're getting for free. So they're shutting down the positive sentiment uh, connecting with fans and the positive sentiment that's made by fans for fans. You know, it, it, whereas they could be endorsing these things, encouraging them, and getting more people more excited about Pokemon. Instead, if they're if they're going at you know, you called it thuggish, and it, it really does seem that way. It seems like they're they're attacking people for only doing what they love and trying to do right by the Pokemon company. And specifically, they're attacking their own community. Well, exactly, yeah. And you know, it, it it's it's complicated because obviously not everyone at the Pokemon Company uh, you know shares the same sentiments as the legal department that probably filed right. takedown notices. So um, obviously, you know, you don't want to demonize the entire Pokemon Company. They right. you know they're just reinforcing their copyright. I think the bigger issue at hand is that. YouTube's system of handling copyright claims like this are, I don't know, very uh, clunky and unfavorable to mm -hmm. people like us who really do want to do good and, uh, you know, sh share our love um, of video games, of yeah. Pokemon. You know, I'm just thinking of all the Let's Players who uh, record video game footage and commentary on top of it and 
you know that how that boosts game sales and right um drives traffic especially to indie games that uh are very you know uh, obscure until a popular youtuber say brings them to light definitely so the they definitely have influence over their brand so i at the same time i can also see why uh you know it's important for uh companies like the pokemon company and nintendo to you know want to keep their their brand and their image consistent with uh their own marketing materials rather than whoever is you know commentating on it but at the same time you are sort of silencing the fans the people who who have bought these games and supported these franchises for years so it's it's a it's a tough situation yeah Absolutely. I th- I think it was it was interesting that you brought up YouTube's role in the, in the process because it seems like for YouTube they they kind of represent a conflict of interest in some ways where their their business model is built on these small creators and yet here we have so much of their system for for protecting those small creators is beholden to the interests of those large companies. So, I don't know. It's it's just sort of a it's a catch 22. Right, it's a catch 22. Like yeah. there's no they're trying to cover their ass, but at the same time, their business is, is beholden. It should be beholden to you, who is the who is the primary creator for of the content that runs their business. So right, right, and yeah, I think their their business model, you know, has evolved over, um, you know, the last few years to um, drive more traffic to uh, you know direct YouTube partners who yeah they are directly in contact with and. Um, you know, are are willing to help out, give you know marketing boosts and promotional uh, platforms on which to promote their own brands. Um, but yeah. when it comes to the the smaller YouTubers um, or even big YouTubers, I mean, you I mean, you had fifty thousand subscribers, even yeah, Team Four. Star. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. Yeah, that was that was a huge mistake. Um, That's absolutely nuts. Yeah, I mean, I could sort of understand how uh, you know. <laughs> YouTube uh, might have, you know, not noticed my channel go under and not right. necessarily care. But given, you know, a huge brand like Team Four Star, Team Four Star. can, can yeah. be taken down in one fell swoop like that without yeah. so much as a a word from YouTube, you know, right. intervening is crazy to me. Right. Well, and parody is something, you know, things like these cover songs with licenses. Exactly. You know, things like these cover songs with the licenses. It seems like it's a little harder to navigate those waters. But parody is explicitly outlined as 100% fair use, indisputable. So something like that getting taken down is just completely nuts. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm unsure of... Uh, you know that's making me question again you know why why were my videos taken down in particular right. i i right. keep coming back to well you know my videos were monetized and um through my my network full screen and i thought that i was you know paying licensing fees to the pokemon company via full screen for what i was doing in which case yeah. all of my videos being taken down was a mistake and was not my fault and i can't do anything about it now right i wonder then do you know like what the future of pokemon reorchestrated is are you hoping to pursue this thing you know whether it's yeah absolutely music services i'm never gonna stop 
loving Pokemon Yay. or Pokemon music, <laughs> um, even though I haven't bought, you know, uh, red, yellow, or blue on virtual console yet. Uh, <laughs> I do, I do love Pokemon. Um, no, I swear. I, I swear. I'll prove. Um, I'll buy your games, TPC. Yeah, no, I mean, I will always buy Pokemon games uh-huh. until I'm super old and decrepit. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I'm going to continue doing covers of Pokemon music. It was really difficult thinking about making covers, you know, after the takedowns right. happened. And uh, so I've, you know, I've kind of laid low um, for the past week or two, um, just trying to regain my bearings and figure out where to go with the project. Um, I don't think I'll be posting on YouTube anytime soon. Um, (laughs) Why never not? (laughs) Um, Surely not having a channel isn't an obstacle. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, not at all. Um, And yeah, I I don't think I would be able to make a channel, an alternate channel anyway, um, since Mm -hmm. I think you're banned from making a channel for six months if you receive three copyright strikes. Right. Um, So some alternate alternatives um alternative platforms i've been thinking about are uh for posting uh music as well as video content are soundcloud tumblr um possibly vimeo but um i don't think vimeo is the you know quite the right platform for my brand of um uh art all right well and um but in the meantime everyone can still find you on itunes yeah, spotify i'm on itunes spotify apple music um as well as louder and google play okay cool cool well i think that about wraps it up is there anything else anyone else wants to ask or talk about uh yeah, i think that pretty much covered uh, everything i was okay about. well uh, so if everyone's happy with the discussion, then uh, then there we go. Woohoo. All right. Well, so everybody, thank you so much for listening. This is the Endo Nintendo week for today. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube at Gamnesia TV for bite-sized discussions from the show. And please head to iTunes to leave us a review. We're really working hard to make this show great for you guys, so those iTunes reviews really mean a lot. Uh, and they also help a lot of listeners discover the show. So if you haven't done that, please do. It's very greatly appreciated. If you have feedback for Nintendo Week, please send it to Colin at Gamnesia.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Colin McIsaac. And remember to send in your questions about Nintendo, about our show. We love engaging with you guys, and we read them and talk about them here on the show in our Mystery House segment, so it's a great way to get involved. Again, that's Colin at Gamnesia.com, C-O-L-I-N at G-A-M-N-E-S-I-A, and at Colin McIsaac, C-O-L-I-N-M-C-I-S-A-A-C. Alex, where can they find you? You can also find me on Twitter at Legend of Lex. And by the way, I really appreciate all you guys who've been reaching out over the past couple weeks. Uh, it's been fun. Yeah, absolutely. And Braxton, where can I find you? I'm at Braxton Burks on my personal Twitter and at PKMN Reorc for Pokemon Reorchestrated on Twitter. Okay, great. So if you guys can't wait till next week for more of our stuff, you can head to Gamnesia.com to see more gaming news as it happens. We've got Sony, Microsoft, Indie, you name it, and if you can believe it, even Nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss on this week's show. On our way out, please enjoy Braxton's very own rendition of the champion battle music from Pokemon Gold, Silver, and Crystal. Thank you all so much for listening, and we hope you have a great week.
Oh, that was a juicy one.